We are in Leviticus chapter 14. All right. Blonde hairs all over me at all times. It's the one thing I was not prepared for in this life. You know what I mean? Was the amount of blonde hair that I'd be... Too much blonde hair. Whoever thought that would be an adverse thing. But... uh, it is why it's like, oh, I wonder who that is. You know. <laughs> Sometimes it's in the food, though. You know. Oh, you know. <laughs> Lord, I apologize. <laughs> Let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy, Lord. And we ask now that as we cover chapter 14 of your, of your book, Father, that you would instruct us and train us and, and teach us, Lord, and, and that you would encourage our hearts this morning. And, Build us up, edify us in the faith, Lord. Chisel away at our hearts, Lord, the things that need to be chiseled away, Father. Give us uh, surrender before you, Lord, to allow you to have your way in us. And we pray, Father, that you would mold us and make us, Lord. We pray that you would encourage us and instruct us. and Father, that you would be uh, day by day, Lord, uh, building us up, in our, not, not only in our knowledge, Father, but in our faith. And most importantly, Father, in our love, the love that we have to you. Uh, and then the love that we have through you to other people, Father. We ask and pray that you would help us to be a light and to be salt, Father, and to be a savory aroma, uh, Lord, uh, of an offering made up to you, Father, in this world that we live in. And people who are looking for hope and truth and love and life uh, would see it uh, in you through us, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Leviticus chapter 14, by all accounts, shouldn't be there. How do you like them apples? Heretic! (laughs) It's instructions on what to do in the day that someone is cured of an incurable disease. That shouldn't be there. That's impossible, right? What is all this for? Now, furthermore, what's also interesting about the uh, chapter 14 of Leviticus is that we have no record in the Old Testament of any Jewish person under the law being healed of leprosy uh, in the ceremonial way, other than, you know, we know, of course, Moses and and Marion and and God had used leprosy to kind of give a little quick judgment here and there. But as far as someone who was, was afflicted with leprosy, Uh, and then was healed of leprosy and went into the temple or into the tabernacle to offer these prescribed sacrifices. We have no record of that. Um, We'll get into that a little bit more, but let's read through chapter 14. Of course, chapter 13, Dad covered last week, and it's how to spot leprosy. It's what it looks like, what to look for. God gave the instructions. It wasn't up to the priest. You know, interestingly enough, when you go through the Old Testament and you read through the laws, a lot of the things you say, well, I don't get God. I don't get God. I don't get why God would do that. I don't get why God would allow that. God knew that he was delivering the law, his perfect law, into the hands of corrupt men. Not all of them and not all of the time, but some of them all of the time. There's always going to be corruption There's always going to be someone who's going to use the things of God to their own advantage or to use the things of God even to hurt somebody else or use the things of God as an allowance to do things that they really ought not to do. And God actually put that into the law. 
Uh, as an example, remember when Jesus was taught, talking to the people and he was teaching about marriage and they came up to him and they asked Jesus, the, the teachers of the law asked Jesus, is it okay for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And there's two lines of thought in that day. The one line of thought was uh, you could divorce your wife only if she cheated on you. If there was marital unfaithfulness, if there was, if there was an adultery that took place, then you could divorce your wife. But no other reason where you, should you ever be divorced. And the other line of thought was that if you found any kind of un- uncleanness in your wife, let's say, for example, you're eating your, your, your oatmeal and, and there was a blonde hair three feet long uh, that, that, that you had to uh, pull out of it. That's an uncleanness. And honey, uh, that's it for you. You're out of here. Okay? And I write her up a certificate of divorce. There's your walking papers. Hit the road. Really, that's how they thought. You know, you've come a long way, ladies. Right? Now you can write the certificate. No. <laughs> You know, but that, that was the two line of thoughts. And so they came to Jesus with this. Everything that they did coming to Jesus was to test him. It's interesting when you talk about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. These were learned men. These were men that knew the law forwards and backwards. They knew about the things of God, but they did not have eyes to see, and they did not have ears to hear, and they did not have had hearts that had any desire whatsoever to receive any of the good things of God. And so no matter what Jesus said and no matter what Jesus did that proved, that showed unequivocally beyond the shadow of a doubt that he was exactly who he claimed to be because he was not what they wanted him to be, there was never going to be any day, any time, any place whatsoever that they were ever going to receive anything from him. And that culminated in the day when they were crying, crucify him, crucify him. And Pontius Pilate was saying, why? Why? What, what thing has he done? And he was referring to Jesus as their king. And remember what they cried out. We will not have this man to rule over us. Oh, they just hated Jesus. They hated Jesus. You ever think to yourself, what makes people hate Christianity? And I know Christianity uh, is very large. uh, You know, whether it's true biblical Christianity or just Christianity, Christianity. We could argue about that. And Christianity is all over the place. And and people scoff at the very idea that Christians are persecuted in this country. I'm not talking about persecution. We really don't face any kind of real persecution compared to what they're going through in Iran and in China and places like this. But what is it about Christianity that makes people seethe? What is it about Christianity that drives them to mock? What is it about Christianity that drives them to, 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 to call you out at any instance that they possibly can as being, you're, you're hateful. They say it like this. You're hateful. You know, it's like, am I? I, I don't, my face doesn't look like that. You know, I'm, I'm, like, I'm just living my life. You know what I mean? Like, Jesus loves you. Jesus did not come into the world. He said that of himself. He didn't come into the world to condemn the world, that the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The world stood condemned already because of sin. Jesus came to save. God doesn't send anyone to hell. God doesn't condemn anyone to hell in the sense that he says, I want you to go to hell. God provided the way out for all of mankind through Jesus Christ. If you reject Jesus Christ, if you reject that gift, if you say to yourself within your heart, I will not have that man to rule over me, you are choosing sides. And there's only two sides. There ain't no middle. There's two sides. And the Pharisees chose against Jesus. They hated him. 
There was nothing he ever could have done, and so there was nothing that he ever could have said that they would have received. So anytime that they were coming to Jesus, they were testing him. It was never they really wanted to know something. Imagine. Imagine how the Gospels might be different and the th- different things that might be written to them if Pharisees had really brought real questions to Jesus. Really deep questions that had been astounding them and and just making them ponder upon the law and ask God, what is this and what is the deeper truth? Imagine if they brought those things to Jesus, the text that we might have. Imagine when he was 12 years old, he was in the synagogue or in the temple. And remember Joseph and Mary, they they leave Jerusalem heading back home. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Where's Jesus? It's like, really? (laughs) Really? You had one job. You know what I mean? We're, Jesus, you, I mean, of all your kids, to me that speaks to the fact they never had to worry about Jesus. Jesus was always where he was supposed to be, and he was always doing the things he was supposed to be doing. So when he wasn't where he was supposed to be and doing what they thought he ought to be doing, they were amazed and perplexed and, and dismayed. But where did they find Jesus? Twelve years old. He's in the temple, and he's teaching from the Word of God. He's expounding it and opening it up. You ever read that and go, like if I'm one of those guys, I'm like, I'm going to go visit that kid's town like every other month and see what's up and just watch him. I mean, no, like 12 years old. Imagine what he had to say at 33. I mean, maybe he had all the same knowledge at 12. That's another question. Um, But here Jesus was, I'm sorry, I'm way off the path here. They had come to Jesus to test him by saying, is it okay or is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And remember what Jesus said. He said, um, he said you, you have heard it written. Oh boy. You shall write her a certificate of divorcement. But from the beginning it was not so. God created the male and female and what God has joined together, let no man separate. Remember that they followed that up with, then why did Moses say you should write her a certificate of divorcement? Remember what Jesus said to him? Because of the hardness of your hearts. And then he said, but from the beginning it was not so. God created the male and female. But he said it's because of the hardness of your hearts that God wrote that. And when we get to the the laws of divorcement, you'll see all of the things that God put in the law to protect women. Because nobody else was protecting women. And so God put things within the law, within that fallen culture, to protect women. You shall not deal treacherously with your wife. Okay? That's just one example uh, of, of the things that are in the law that we go, why? What is that for? But God knew it's because we're people. It's because we're people. But this is a totally different example of that. Why is this here? Leviticus chapter 14. Why would God go into such detail? We're going to talk about that today. Uh, But Leviticus chapter 13, of course, calling out what leprosy is, the examination that would take place, who was to look at it, what was to to be said, uh, was talking about the fact that that God didn't leave it in the hands of people to decide what leprosy was. Talking about this is why God has all these things in the Bible. Sorry. (laughs) The reason that God laid it out in detail was so that it was not up to any, because this is a death sentence. This is a death sentence. And you don't want to go in to find out if you got leprosy. And oh my goodness, look, it's Bill. Bill hates me. <laughs> Bill can't stand me. I don't want Bill to examine me. They were to go by the word. They were going to go by the law. The same thing holds true for us. 
Anytime we're talking about sin, anytime we're talking about looking out at the world or talking to people or whatever the case may be, what's right, what's wrong, what's okay in the world today that we live in, we still go by the word of God. You know, what do you think about this? Who cares what I think about it? It doesn't matter what I think about it. My job is to love people. My job is to point people to Jesus Christ. My job is to be a blinking, flashing neon sign this way to Jesus. I don't have to worry about what particular sin they're entangled in. Like I got room. Right? Well, you don't do that. So what? I do this. I do that. I eat until I hurt sometimes. You know what the Bible says about that. It's better to put a knife to your throat than be getting to gluttony. I'm just confession time. Hello. Right? I don't look like Jack LaLanne up here. You know what I mean? On vacation, I'm eating until I'm injured. You know what I'm saying? And then I'm like, you've got to push through the pain, children. You know? It's like, like but, but it's loud. We laugh hot. But it's true. We're falling, man. We're always, it's always something because of our own fallen nature. Man, you get into judging people. You get into worrying about what other people are doing and what is, what's this and what's that. Well, you don't understand, Pastor. Everyone's saying that this is okay now and it's not okay. Okay, fine. That's not an argument we're supposed to be even having. If someone asks me a question, I'll give them an answer. If someone talks to me about what it really means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm going to give them an answer according to the Word of God. But it's all according to the Word of God. It's how it lines up with that. All right, Leviticus chapter 14. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, This shall be the law of the leper for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest. And the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall examine him. And indeed, if the leprosy is healed in the leper, then the priest shall command to take for him who is to be cleansed two living and clean birds, cedar wood, scarlet, and hyssop. And the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water, As for the living bird, he shall take it, the cedar wood, and the scarlet, and the hyssop, and dip them and the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed from the leprosy, and shall pronounce him clean, and shall let the living bird loose in the open field. He who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes, shave off all of his hair, and wash himself in water, that he may be clean." After that, he shall come into the camp and shall stay outside his tent seven days. But on the seventh day, he shall shave all the hair off his head and his beard and his eyebrows. All his hair he shall shave off. He shall wash his clothes and wash his body in water, and he shall be clean. And on the eighth day, he shall take two male lambs without blemish, one ewe lamb of the first year without blemish, three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering, and one log of oil." Then the priest who makes him clean shall present the man who is to be made clean and those things before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And the priest shall take one male lamb and offer it as a trespass offering and the log of oil and wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. Then he shall kill the lamb in the place where he killed... Uh, where he kills the sin offering and the burnt offering in a holy place. For as the sin offering is the priest's, so is the trespass offering. It is most holy. The priest shall take some of the blood of the trespass offering, and the priest shall put it on the tip of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. And the priest shall take some of the log of oil and pour it onto the palm of his own left hand, 
Then the priest shall dip his right finger in the oil that is in his left hand and shall sprinkle some of the oil with his finger seven times before the Lord. And of the rest of the oil in his hand, the priest shall put some on the tip of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot, on the blood of the trespass offering. The rest of the oil that is in the priest's hand he shall put on the head of him who is to be cleansed. So the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord. Then the priest shall offer the sin offering and make atonement for him who is to be cleansed from his uncleanness. Afterward, he shall kill the burnt offering. And the priest shall offer the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar. So the priest shall make atonement for him and he shall be clean. But if he is poor and cannot afford it, then he shall take one male lamb as a trespass offering to be waived. And to make atonement for him, one-tenth of an ephah of fine fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering, a log of oil, and two turtle doves or two young pigeons, such as he is able to afford, one shall be a sin offering and the other a burnt offering. We're still going. He shall bring them to the priest on the eighth day for his cleansing to the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. And the priest shall take the lamb of the trespass offering and the log of oil, and the priest shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. Then he shall kill the lamb of the trespass offering, and the priest shall take some of the blood of the trespass offering and put it on the tip of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, on the thumb of his right hand, on the big toe of his right foot. This is basically the same thing over again, except for the poor guy, okay? And he's going through it again, step by step in detail. And the priest shall pour some of the oil into the palm of his own left hand. Then the priest shall sprinkle with his right finger some of the oil that is in his left hand seven times before the Lord. And the priest shall put some of the oil that is in his hand on the tip of the right ear of him him who is to be cleansed, on the thumb of the right hand and on the big toe of his right foot, in the place of the blood of the trespass offering. And the rest of the oil that is in the priest's hand he shall put on the head of him who is to be cleansed to make atonement for him before the Lord. And he shall offer one of the turtle doves or young pigeons such as he can afford, such as he is able to afford, the one is a sin offering and the other is a burnt offering and the grain offering, so the priest shall make atonement for him who is to be cleansed before the Lord. This is the law for one who has a leprous sore who cannot afford the usual cleansing. Wow. Wow. That is some serious detail, isn't it? Uh, A couple of things to to pull out of there that I love, that I think are amazing, and then I want to talk to you about a little something different. Uh, this is the law, and the first thing that we see at the beginning of chapter 14, the priest, in, in verse 4, the priest shall command to take for him who is to be cleansed two living and clean birds, cedar wood, scarlet, and hyssop, and the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water, and as for the living bird, he shall take it, the cedar wood and the scarlet and the hyssop, dip them in the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water, sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed from leprosy, shall pronounce him clean, and shall let the living bird loose in the open field. And then it's all the sacrifices that come after that. But I love the sacrifices. There was also the scapegoat sacrifice. But any time that there's this clear, beautiful picture of what Jesus Christ did for us, and particularly here where you have a bird that is taken and it's killed over uh, running water into an earthen vessel. And I just love that because we are earthen vessels. 
right? The Bible talks about us being earthen vessels. The water is a picture of that living water that Jesus talked to the woman at the well about. If you would have known whom you were speaking to, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water and you'd never thirst again. It's that water of eternal life. It's that water of the Holy Spirit signified here. And here is this bird taken and killed. It's blood shed and the blood and the water mixed and poured into this pot. That's you and me, baby. I love that stuff. And then you have the other turtle dove who is, who is kept alive and you take it and you fasten it with cedar wood and a scarlet string and a piece of hyssop, which is like a bush that might grow in your garden. Remember, the hyssop was also what they used uh, in Passover to put the blood on the, on the doorposts of their door in, in Egypt. That's what was, what was used was the hyssop branch. And, so, and, it was, and it was a fragrant plant. It had a fragrant smell to it. And so did the cedar wood. But the cedar wood was also the very finest of building materials. Later on when we get to the building of the temple, you're going to see the cedars, cedars of Lebanon. Cedars of Lebanon, the cedar tree. It's a fragrant wood. It's a strong wood. It's a costly wood. Okay, And the cedar and the scarlet string, the scarlet thread, which I was reading up about that. What's that supposed to symbolize? Is that a symbol for, for sin? Uh, and what the scholars think is that it's a symbol for his blood made clean. Yeah, literally, the, 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 the leprosy, the disease of, uh, I guess it's, I don't know if it's a disease of the blood, but what that's what they're saying is it's a symbol of their blood being made clean. You know, what was God really intending there? A lot of these things, you know, you look through and you read all these different things and you kind of are like, okay. You know, I think it's a little bit of this and it's a little bit of that. But I just, I just love the, the symbolism there. I wonder if anyone really knows. You know, one of the things, the traditions of, uh, of, uh, of rabbis is that when, when Messiah comes, he's going to take us and teach us what the Bible really means. In fact, they believe that he's even going to teach us what the punctuation means. <laughs> the spaces between the letters, what they mean. He's going to really teach us what the Word of God is all about. I, I can't wait for this lesson. He's like, what, what is that really all about? What was the cedar really all about? Maybe we got it right. Maybe we didn't. But then this living bird with the cedar wood, the strong wood used for the building materials of the temple, the scarlet thread and the hyssop is taken and put in the blood. And rather being, than being sprinkled on the doorposts of a house, it's sprinkled on the man himself or on the woman herself. It's sprinkled on the one who was made clean, sprinkled in the blood. Washed in the blood, if you will. And then that living bird is set free. Of course, anytime you're dealing with an animal, Hebrews gets into this in detail, where Jesus Christ was a better sacrifice, right, than any sacrifice that had ever been offered. He was that one sacrifice that was able to be offered once and for all time because he was a living sacrifice. He was the son of God. He was put to death and yet raised himself to life. No animal could ever do that. So you've got to use two birds, right? Or you've got to use two goats, you can't use one. It ain't coming back once you kill it, right? And so you would have the living goat or the living bird in this case that would be dipped in that blood as well, sprinkled on the man, and then set free into the open field. I love this stuff. We're free. It's this freedom. It's this idea of being set free. It's this idea of freedom that we have once we've been cleansed and washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And then, of course, going down through all of the other sacrifices and offerings that still had to be made, that still had to be made. And what that shows us is that for the Old Testament saints, even though the grace and mercy of God was there, there was no escape still from the law. You understand? He was made clean. He was made whole. He was made right, but all of the ceremonial sacrifices, all of the sacrifices of the law still had to be made. There is no escape from that. It doesn't matter. 
Jesus Christ for us, remember, he said, I have not come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill the law. I've come to fulfill the law. We are still, in essence, as much under God's law as the Old Testament saints were. The only difference is that all of those requirements, those handwriting of requirements that the Bible talks about that were against us because they're contrary to our very nature, were nailed to the cross with Jesus. So there is no escape from the law, but we simply have been given away through the law, over the law, because of Jesus Christ. So even though this man was cleansed, even though this man was made clean, even though he was healed, and you have this beautiful ceremony with the turtle doves, the, the law still had to be followed. The sacrifices still had to be made. And so Moses is taken by the Lord through all of this detail for offering of all these sacrifices. One of the portions of it that I love so much is that this man or this woman now who was healed from leprosy, from this incurable disease, this death sentence disease, and now has been impossibly healed and made clean, once the sacrifices are offered... The way that the blood is put on their ear and on their thumb and on their big toe and the oil is put on their ear and their thumb and their big toe in the same way that it was done for the priests when they were put into the service of the Lord. This person is now a living testimony. I love it when the Bible says that we are a kingdom of priests. We are a chosen nation. We are a royal priesthood. Understand this, when Jesus Christ, when he got a hold of our lives and when he took us and he cleansed us, he made us clean, washed us in his own blood and filled us with the Spirit, he put us into the ministry. He put us into the service of the Almighty King. We are in his service, like it or not. We're a minister. We are all ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've been put into his service. What a testimony it would be for this person. Their life would be healed from leprosy. How? How? What did you do? What did you pray? What did you think? What were you talking to God about? How did that go? I mean, people would want to know. Now, I want to skip from there uh, and talk about something a little bit differently. There's no record of any Jew, we talked about this a little earlier, having ever had leprosy and then being healed. And these uh, sacrifices offered in chapter 14 until, until Jesus, when he healed Simon the leper. Remember that? He's the first leper that Jesus healed. And he's the first one that came to Jesus and he said, Master, I know that if you're willing, you can make me clean. Remember, Jesus put his hand on him. He touched him, which was unlawful to do. And he said, I am willing. Be clean. And he told him to go and offer the necessary sacrifices according to the law of Moses. And he said, as a testimony to them. Now watch, this is what I want to say. And this is the cool thing. No priest in that day and in that time had ever had to read through or look through Leviticus chapter 14 until Simon the leper is healed of leprosy and he shows up at the temple and who comes out to see him? It would have been either Annas or Caiaphas, the high priest. And these men who hated Jesus Christ, who didn't believe a thing that Jesus Christ had said or was saying or was teaching, now were forced to come out and look at this man and pronounce him clean and offer sacrifices that nobody had ever offered before. They didn't have a bucket of hyssop. 
for that. They didn't have a, you know, like, okay, you guys know what to do. No, no, we, we, we really don't. We got no idea what to do. Bring out the scrolls, you know what I mean? You don't offer the sacrifice every day. They probably had to go back through it. How, how did you get clean? Uh, Jesus. What did he do? He just said that he was willing. And then he said, be clean. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I'm clean. And the leprosy's gone. And he told me to come to you as a testimony to you and have you offer these sacrifices. What? What must they have been thinking, these men who hated Jesus, who had determined that they were going to put him to death as they were offering sacrifices to be, for the cleansing of the man who had been healed of an incurable disease by Jesus? Can you imagine that? And I wonder how hard their hearts must have been. How hard does a person's heart have to be to see someone cleansed of an incurable disease and yet not believe? Well, we see it every single day. We see it every single day. Jesus Christ takes people and he washes people and he cleanses people and he makes them holy and he makes them righteous. He puts them into the priesthood and people just don't care. You know, you go back home, you go back to your old friends and they see you are a completely different human being. Something has been done here. And if they make the mistake of asking you what happened, <laughs> right? And you tell them, well, Jesus, well, Jesus Christ saved, my, saved me. I asked Jesus to come into my heart and to, to, to I do, did what the Bible says. And he's made me clean. He's made me whole. And, and, and you wonder. I always wonder. You know, I'm a jerk. I'm, I'm a self-admitted jerk, right? Nothing special about me. But God's blessed my life. And, and he's blessed my home. And I just, I wonder. Not that I'm, and, and understand, not because I think I've got something. Except for Jesus. Nobody ever asks me. None of my old friends ever want to talk about it. You know what I mean? And, it, and, it, and I wonder at that. Oh, the unbelief of man's heart. The unbelief. The, 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 you know, and again, we've got to remember this too. When we're talking to people about Jesus Christ and we're witnessing and, and, and testifying to people, if people don't have faith and they don't want to believe, there's not a thing you can do about it. If Jesus Christ couldn't make Caiaphas believe... Or Annas believe on this day, I'd have been like, all right, that's it. Take, get this hat off of me. I'm out of You know what I mean? Looks like I'm a disciple of Jesus now. Are you kidding me? Later on, Jesus sends him ten more. Ten more. Must have been a... There comes ten of them. We've been cleansed. Of what? Leprosy. Oh, by who? Oh, Jesus. Oh, no. How much hyssop do we got left? You know what I mean? Are you kidding me? Chop down a cedar tree for heaven's sakes, you know. Wow. And just don't care. Just don't care. They just let it go. Interesting. Um, where are we at? Okay, we've got a couple minutes. I'm going to try to go super fast. Boy, this chapter is long, isn't it? Okay, now, verse 33, we switch over to the cleansing of a leprous house. Okay, so I'm going to read very fast. Remember that old guy who used to do the toy commercials? Those cars, remember? remember that dude? He's from the 80s. Kids are like, that's weird. 
Uh, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When you have come into the land of Canaan, which I will give you as a possession, and I put the leprous plague on a house in a house in the land of your possession, and he who owns the house comes and tells the priest, saying, It seems to me that there is some plague in the house. Then the priest shall command that they empty the house before the priest goes into it to examine the plague, and all that is in the house may not be made uh, that all that is in the house may not be made unclean. And afterward, the priest shall go in and examine the house. And he shall examine the plague, and indeed if the plague is on the walls of the house with ingrained streaks, greenish or reddish, which appear to be deep in the wall, then the priest shall go out of the house to the door of the house and shut up the house seven days. And the priest shall come again on the seventh day and look, and indeed if the plague is spread on the walls of the house, then the priest shall command that they take away the stones in which is the plague, and they shall cast them into an unclean place outside the city. And he shall cause the house to be scrapped inside all around, and the dust that they scrape off they shall pour into an unclean place outside the city. Then they shall take other stones and put them in the place of those stones, and he shall take other mortar and plaster the house. Now if the plague comes back and breaks out in the house after he has taken away the stones, after he has scraped the house, or after it is plastered, then the priest shall come and look, and indeed if the plague is spread in the house, it is an act of leprosy in the house, it is unclean. And he shall break down the house its stones, its timber, and all the plaster of the house, and he shall carry them outside the city to an unclean place. This poor guy. Moreover, he who goes into the house at all while it is shut up shall be unclean till evening. And he who lies down in the house shall wash his clothes, and he who eats in the house shall wash his clothes. But if the priest comes in and examines it, and indeed the plague has not spread in the house after the house was plastered, then the priest shall pronounce the house clean because the plague is healed. And he shall take to cleanse the house two birds, cedar wood, scarlet, and hyssop. Then he shall kill one of the birds in an earthen vessel over running water, and he shall take the cedar wood, the hyssop, the scarlet, and the living bird, dip them in the blood of the slain bird and in the running water, and sprinkle the house seven times. And he shall cleanse the house with the blood of the bird and the running water and the living bird with the cedar wood, the hyssop, and the scarlet. Then he shall let the living bird loose outside the city in the open field and make atonement for the house and make it clean. This is the law for any leprous sore or scale, for the leprosy of a garment and of a house, for a swelling and a scab and a bright spot, to teach when it is unclean and when it is clean. This is the law of leprosy. Isn't it fascinating? Isn't it interesting? The law of leprosy concerning leprosy within a house, within a home. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that, isn't that amazing? Now, obviously, uh, on a very practical level, God wants to prevent some sort of leprosy that is on the stones. Or, and and begin, again, see, even if this is like, how is that possible? You know what I mean? What happened to you? Oh, I got sick. Why? My house. <laughs> house made me sick. <laughs> you know what I mean? House gave me this disease or that disease. Remember, uh, before any of this, the, these, this instruction was given, God says if there's leprosy in a house because God has put the leprosy there as a judgment. Remember, they're going into the land of Canaan. And, and, and it, let me just give you an example of Canaanite life. It was considered good luck. It was considered good fortune that when you were building your house, uh, you would your your you would have your wife uh, you your wife would get your wife pregnant she would have a baby and then you would take that brand new baby and you would put it in a clay jar stop it up and put it in the wall and then build the wall that's good fortune in Canaan okay you want to when when God sends them in he says I want you to wipe out the Canaanites I want you to wipe out that culture I want you to completely put it to the ground I want nothing left oh <laughs> God's mean this is Canaan. There's so many other things we can't talk about in mixed company. This is one of the things. Of course, it reminds me of our culture a little bit. How many babies have been sacrificed 
over a career, over I'm not re- over this, over me, 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 the selfishness. We worship ourselves now, though. But it's the same thing. As far as I'm concerned, God looks at it the same way. It's absolutely unbelievable. It's absolutely, I mean, I mean you know, and it, it was always, well, I don't want to get into it. You know. The important thing is that God was very concerned with the home being clean. God was very concerned with the home being clean. We know that leprosy is a picture of sin for us. Leprosy is a picture of sin. And oftentimes it was given as judgment. And in this case, God specifically says, there's a leprosy in this house because I put it there as a judgment because of some horrible, awful, unclean thing. And you go into the house and you decide you're going to inhabit this house. This is the law. That no unclean thing would be in your home. And interestingly enough, when the house is made clean from this leprosy, that the same sacrifice with those two birds is offered again, just like it was for the person who was healed of leprosy. It shows me two things. That God is very concerned, God is very interested in our homes being clean. In our homes being clean. In our homes being a place where he is glorified. Where he is magnified, where he is lifted up, and also, uh, you know, in, in our own lives, um, you guys know, First Corinthians chapter three, uh, verses eleven to fifteen. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which was laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Well, what's Paul talking about here? He's talking about, remember, he's talking to the Corinthian church. This is a church, the church in Corinth, that were stooped in immorality. In fact, they had a situation in their church where a guy was living with his father's wife. And they were proud of it. Look how progressive we are. Look how forward-thinking we are. It's all about grace. It's all about grace. Paul says, you're out of your mind. You need to get wickedness like that and put it out of the church. There can't be any kind of thing like that or spot or mark like that. There ought not to be in the life of a Christian. And there ought not to be anything like that in your homes. The foundation is Jesus Christ. And everything that we build in our lives on the foundation of Jesus Christ should be worthy of that foundation. And whether we build it with gold or precious stones or whether we do it with wood, hay, and stubble, the work is going to be made known. There's going to come a time, whether it's in this life or in the next, when it's going to be made known. There's going to be a judgment of sorts or there's going to be a reckoning of sorts. What my house is built out of is going to become apparent because the fire is going to come in a sense. And if it's gold and precious stones and correct material, it's going to withstand that. And there's going to be reward for that. But if it's wood, hay, and stubble, it's going to burn away. I love it that Paul says, the man himself will escape, but as through fire. But as through fire. Man, I don't want to escape as through fire. You know, people talk about getting into heaven by the skin of their teeth. I don't want to get in by the skin of my teeth. Although that's all nonsense anyways. You're either saved or you're not saved. I don't think there's any of that skin of your teeth. You know what I mean? Like there's going to be a waiting line outside. Oh boy. Hope they let me in. You know what I mean? It's ridiculous. You're in Christ. You're, you're, you're made clean. You're saved. Right? You're born again. You're justified because of what Jesus did. But he is interested in our houses. 
And in our house is being clean. Paul goes in a great deal in the Corinthian church about your church needs to be cleaned. There needs to be not even a hint of immorality in the church. Now, that doesn't mean that none of the people that come in here are immoral. That would be ridiculous. We want immoral people to come in here so that they can hear the gospel and so they can be saved, right? But we don't ever, ever, ever want to be a church where we allow things in our church that are not pleasing to the Lord because of whatever, culture, what's okay now in this day and age and what's not, you know, whatever. We can't do that anymore. People don't do that anymore. Well, you know, your church is small because people don't like to do this and this and they like this and they like that. I don't care what people like. I'm not here. You know what I'm saying? I'm not here to make anybody happy. I hope you leave here happy. I'm here to preach because God told me to preach. So I'm preach. We're here to honor the word of God. We're worship to worship his holy name. You know what I mean? It, it, marvels, it marvels me. You know, this is why in our culture, so many people, they got to go to a church where it's a rock concert. It's a rock. I mean, literally. Now, listen, I like that. So don't get me wrong. I like going to light shows. I like concerts. I love awesome Christian rock music and Christian worship where there's lights and smoke. I got no problem with that. But if that's why you're there, you're there for the wrong reason. I'm, I'm telling you, right, you could have, we could have Jerry come up here like George Beverly Shea, right, and sit here and play some sort of a xylophone or something, right, or bang on some banjo and sing hymns, and we ought to be able to worship with that man. I can't worship. He sucks. You know what I'm saying? Well, wait a second. Then you don't understand what worship is. It doesn't matter who's up here. If people that are on the stage are up here to glorify God and sing his praises, then I ought to be able to join them in it. And it's the same reason we bring forth the word of God. Who gives a rip what people think or what makes people happy? Oh, for heaven's sakes, people in chasing after happiness destroy their lives and everyone around them's lives. Well, I just need to be happy. Well, how'd that work out? We're here to honor God's word because he honors his word, the scripture says, above his name. So we don't worry about what other people are doing, right? Listen, I would love it if God filled this place and and God did something like that. But whether he does that or whether he doesn't do that, as long as when you guys come here, you're here to worship the Lord, to seek his face and to study his word together with me and dad, we're good. You know what I'm saying? Because when Jesus comes back, he's not going to be like, oh, Berean, wow, good, good job teaching the Bible. Did you see the lights over here, though? I mean, really, that's where it's at, buddy. The lights over here. I'm not trying to put that in any other churches at all in any way, shape, or form. I'm only speaking about what the heart is of each individual person, whatever that is. Our culture is what it is, right? I mean, I don't have to explain that. Our culture needs to be titillated. It needs to be satisfied. When? Now. I want it now. I want instant gratification. I want to feel good. I, I can't have any inconvenience in my life. I can't have any discomfort in my life. There's a pill for that. Right? There's a pill for that. 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 Some people need the pills. You understand what I'm saying? Some people need the pills. But what I'm saying is, is there an abuse like there's never been in the history of the world... Because of a culture that has to feel good about itself all the time. God doesn't want you to feel good about yourself all the time. God wants you to be able to walk in your house and go, Get the sledgehammer, this wall's coming down. Because who cares about that? What well, you don't understand what, what I, that wall means. I don't care. God doesn't care. 
God wants you healthy and whole from top to bottom, stem to stern, man. Right? That's what it's all about. And you think of this poor guy. He's got to bust his whole house down and carry it out to an unclean place. <laughs> oh, I wonder what Bill did. You know what I mean? And he's, uh, but you know what? God bless that man. And, and this is, again, a great thing about our faith. We see somebody who has made ever, just one awful, horrible mistake after another, and they walk into church, and you're like, oh, Lord, what happened to him? You know what I mean? Hey, where's that guy, that guy been? He's probably, or she's probably in the midst of maybe having her entire house broken down around her. That's okay, too. That's okay, too. Hey, let me help you carry that garbage out to an unclean place. And then let's build a new house. And the person who has the desire to allow their own house to be broken down and taken to an unclean place just so God can build something new in their life, God bless that person. That's how God is. He's the God of new beginnings. He's the God of second and third and eight millionth chances. Hey, listen, I don't care what your leprosy is. I don't care what kind of spots you got in your house. All I care about is what are you going to do about it? What am I going to do about it? The spots in my house. The blemishes on my heart. What am I going to do about it? I want to be cleansed. And just like Simon the leper, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus' answer never changes. I am willing. Be clean. Be clean. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for, for teaching us, Lord, um, from, from your book. We pray, Father, that you would help us to have uh, these kind of hearts, Lord, to be constantly examining ourselves, Lord, to, to see if there's a spot, uh, if there's something in us, Lord, that needs to be broken out, uh, Lord, or, or changed, Father. And we're so grateful how willing you are, how happy you are to heal us, how happy you are, Father, to help us take the things to an unclean place and discard them there, Lord, and to build something new in our lives. We're so thankful for that, Father. I pray that you would... Help each one of us, Father, to, to have a reckoning in our, in, within ourselves, Lord, and to seek to do the things and to build the things up in our lives and in our houses, Lord, that are pleasing to you, uh, Lord, that are, that are going to be articles that are going to withstand the fire, Lord, uh, and that always oh, we, would, we would make everything match the foundation, Lord, which is Jesus Christ. Uh, we love you. We praise you. We thank you, Father, for all that you've done, for all you're doing, and for all that you're going to do. And we ask, Lord, only that we would be found in your will and doing what you've called us to do when you return, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.